understanding personality disorders can help you make sense of your own behaviour and those around you. Without that understanding, it can be easy to think that someone is just being difficult or to explain the results that you've achieved in life as being a personal failing or a result of a lack of effort or something, rather than seeing it in its full context, which is what happens when you understand the personality disorders that may be at play. To explain five of the most prominent personality disorders, you're now joined by psychologist James Carroll from North Brisbane Psychologists. Hi, James. Hey, Ashwin. How you doing? I'm good. Can you explain to us what makes something a personality disorder? Yeah, well, the personality disorders kind of, um, they have a theme of being really pervasive and intense. When someone experiences, say, anxiety or depression, it can come in waves. And personality disorders are where it's that real persistent part of their life. When people talk about personality disorders, they divide them into clusters. Can you explain what those clusters are? Yeah, of course. So there's three uh, main clusters that the DSM-5, which is kind of our diagnosis manual for mental health disorders, it uh, puts them into cluster A, cluster B, and cluster C. Cluster A, I guess you could say, is that um, personality disorders that are of a suspicious or odd or eccentric kind of um, traits of a person. Cluster B is uh, people who experience the more sort of dramatic, uh, over-emotional, or really erratic behaviours. Um, cluster C is where it goes into the real anxiety and just um, intense fears. Which of those clusters tends to cause people the most difficulty in living a fulfilling life? Probably the most prominent one would be cluster B, the dramatic, emotional, or you know, really erratic sort of behaviours, um, because they can often lead to real, you know, relationship issues, uh, marriage breakdowns, substance use, um, instability in uh, workplace employment. It can play quite a havoc on people's lives. Um, I've seen a number of clients that have had a cluster B um, personality disorder. And they've struggled to maintain meaningful employment. They've constantly changed between jobs trying to find something that's the right fit but haven't really found that. They've had a lot of, you know, real relationship difficulties and it's really impacted their life and their mental health because they they keep thinking, you know, why is why is this all going so wrong for me? And, you know, why does nothing ever go my way? When someone is suffering that kind of distress, how helpful is it to be able to put a label on it, a personality disorder label on the distress uh, that they've been suffering? It can be sometimes a double-edged sword, which I always check in with my clients and just say, hey, like, is this something you would like to go down and, you know, further investigate a potential diagnosis or would you just sort of like to focus on the symptoms that you're experiencing and we really, you know, target those? But I say it comes with that duality because some people, you know, they might be in their, you know, 30s, 40s or 50s and they've seen a, you know, a number of doctors or psychiatrists or they've done some research online and they haven't quite found the answer. They've just always felt that they were, you know, odd, strange. And some of my clients have actually said they just felt really just overwhelmed and almost like I must be crazy. And 
I, you know, explain like, hey, if a diagnosis um, or exploring a diagnosis might provide some some help to you, that is something we can do because it might provide that closure that you're not crazy, you're not, you know, doing these things on purpose. It's not, you know, that you're an evil person and that there is a real, you know, mental health disorder that's going on and can explain a lot of the things they're feeling and a lot of the ways that they've acted in the past or are acting at, you know, in the present. It can be quite good in that way of providing closure, but sometimes it can also, you know, bring along an incredible amount of stigma, um, especially some of the cluster B uh, personality disorders have stigmas, unfortunately, that associate them with uh, criminality or, you know, purposely being um, narcissistic or, you know, against the pro-social ways that we live in. Let's cover some of those stigmas as we go through these five personality disorders that, that you've brought to us. The first personality disorder that you'd mentioned was schizotypal personality disorder. What is that? Schizotypal often, uh, it's, well, it's very easy to be confused with schizoid personality disorder and also schizophrenia or schizoaffective disorder. Um, it's, <laughs> it's a bit of a mouthful for them all, but schizotypal personality disorder is a real just pattern of intense discomfort in real close relationships. But it also comes along with some real, you know, eccentric behaviors um, and some perceptual delusions. People might have some odd beliefs about how the world works or some, you know, delusions of grandiosity. They might, you know, feel that they are not who they actually are and that they are some sort of uh, famous person or, you know, important religious figure. Or they might have thoughts that, um, you know, their sort of inner monologue can actually control the environment around them and control other people. What effect does that have on the relationships? A pretty incredible uh, and intense effect on, on their relationships can also make them feel really isolated and that, you know, their belief in these, uh, you know, sort of distortions is so strong that they don't question that, but they question the world around them. So it can really make them feel isolated from not only their community, but their relationships with, you know, the closest people in their lives. What's the best way to treat or manage that personality disorder? With all personality disorders, there's never sort of one, you know, specific treatment. It's always a bit of a combination. If there was, you know, one treatment that fit all, that would be incredible. But it often starts from a very just you know, foundational basis of pulling apart, you know, some of the beliefs and the thoughts that they have and really sort of just building a bit of insight and awareness that, you know, maybe we should reality test some of these odd beliefs or thoughts and do they sort of go in line with the evidence in the environment or are they something that's, you know, a little bit more sort of magical thinking that doesn't really connect to reality? Okay, so there's enough self-awareness that that kind of rational, reflective process can help undermine some of those delusions that they've been having? Yeah, yeah. It can be a really powerful thing. It sounds very simple to, you know, reality test, but it can be a very powerful technique to, you know, help people feel more in control of their lives and more in control of their mental health instead of feeling that, you know, 
something is not quite right and they have this odd belief that isn't really fitting in with the environment, they can now sort of almost do a little experiment and test whether this is in line with reality. Are people with this personality disorder often you know, described as a character by the general public and their friends and they might find themselves being, you know, wonderful performers and entertainers because they've got such divergent brains. It's quite entertaining when channeled in in a particular way. Is that an aspect of of this personality disorder? Yeah, it can be. When people are, you know, quite eccentric, they're able to play characters more easily. They're able to adapt to different things. And often we think about, you know, well, I guess the DSM-5 talks about all of the symptomology of personality disorders and disorders, but there are some, you know, positive traits that come along with these, you know, people with this disorder have an incredible ability to, you know, draw from that experience and to use that real sort of innate creativity to think about the world in a different light. All right, so that's schizotypal personality disorder. The, the second one that you'd mentioned to us was borderline personality disorder. Can you tell us more about that? Borderline is probably one of the most common um, personality disorders that I see in my um, sort of client base. And often people come to me and they've you know, seen a, quite a number of other uh, health professionals or they've done some research online. They haven't really sort of found what explains, you know, they're going, what explains uh, what they're going through. And they really experience the the core of it is an, just an instable sort of history of relationships. And when they're in those relationships, they find that it's a real sort of duality of sometimes they absolutely idolize the person that they're, you know, in this relationship with. And other times they feel so disconnected from this person that they couldn't care whether, you know, the relationship was there or not. And it can really cause havoc in that way. But it also extends to the relationship that they have with their self. Um, People with borderline personality disorder often feel that they don't really have a sense of solid identity. They feel lost. They feel that they're constantly searching for something that makes them, you know, them. But it's, impossible to find because they're constantly changing. So is part of your treatment for someone with borderline personality disorder to help them find a more stable identity outside of other people and external fulfillment? Definitely, yeah. Helping uh, someone find their own independence and, you know, form a relationship with themselves and, you know, explore that in depth like they have probably not done prior is a really important part of that. With borderline, because there's um, such intense anxiety, such intense anger at times, it also, like the treatment includes a lot of just emotional regulation techniques, a lot of treatment targeting. This is how we can, you know, build our distress tolerance. So if something happens to us that, you know, our mind wants to take and, you know, erupt like a volcano, even though the actual trigger was something quite small, we can put some techniques in that manage that distress so it doesn't lead to this you know, big explosion and it's managed in a much more appropriate and less exhausting way for the person. You're listening to psychologist James Carroll from North Brisbane Psychologist taking us through five prominent personality disorders that people may suffer from. That was borderline personality disorder. And James, you mentioned stigma. I'm guessing this next one comes with stigma 
particularly around criminality as well. It's antisocial personality disorder. Can you explain a bit more about this one? Antisocial PD is, you're 100% right, it often comes with that stigma of just criminality or that this person is choosing to disregard others and to be, you know, what someone might consider as just uh, unempathetic and, you know, not caring for others around them. But antisocial uh, often really stems in a, or sorry, comes out in a way that people struggle with emotions towards others. And it can often co-occur with narcissistic personality disorder, but not all the time. Antisocial PD can manifest in a number of ways of just disregarding the law, disregarding rules and boundaries, not because that person is really actively choosing to, you know, they haven't seen this sort of rule or, you know, social norm and then chosen to disregard it. It's that they really struggle to see that the social norm is really there at all. Is there a part of their brain that normally functions to, to handle morality and right and wrong that's working differently? Is there a neuroscientific explanation for that or is it something else, some schema or cultural explanation for why they don't see right and wrong the way others do? Yeah. Uh, fantastic mental health, it's always a very complex answer. And yeah, they might find that in a sort of neuroanatomy sense that their amygdala, which is uh, this tiny little area in our brain that is our emotional control center, that that might not be responding as appropriately as someone without antisocial personality disorder. So they might find that their amygdala and their ability to understand emotions on a deeper foundational level is impacted quite substantially. I also want to know, I'm being a bit speculative here, we were talking about the evolutionary angle earlier. For thousands of years, we needed people to go out there and defend the tribe and kill saber-toothed tigers and kill with impunity, act quite strongly and firmly and perhaps not feel the same empathy and remorse as others in the tribe who I mean, you know, we're growing berries and looking after the children or something. Do you think that there might have been an evolutionary basis for anti-personality disorder because we did need sort of more remorseless individuals in the tribe? There definitely could be. It, you know, comes with quite a lot of, you know, sort of strength characteristics instead of, you know, we focus on this this deficit. This person has this potential lack of ability to understand emotions, but as you said, Ashwin, that could, you know, provide some real advantages in hunting and, you know, seeing the logical basis for, okay, well, I need to um, hunt and kill this animal so that my family can survive and have food to eat. And to not feel empathy would allow them to be potentially more successful hunters. You're listening to James Carroll, psychologist at North Brisbane Psychologist, taking us through quite a fascinating dive into the personality disorders that you'll see out there, perhaps in yourself or, or in other people around you. This one, I feel, James, is quite commonly discussed at the moment, narcissistic personality disorder. Is this disorder growing in our society or is just a milder form of narcissism growing that you wouldn't quite call a disorder? Yeah, clinical significance is a really important thing there because a certain level of narcissism is quite healthy um, because it helps you know our own self-worth feel valid, um, especially when times are tough or that there's you know a pandemic in the in the midst. But you could also argue that social media is really increasing and inflating this sense of narcissism. Um, when it meets the sort of clinical significance of being a narcissistic 
personality disorder, that's when it really sort of is that it's that narcissism is pervasive. It's not just sort of I'm posting, you know, some photos here and there of me. It's the uh, I'm really putting myself first in every single situation and in multiple areas of my life. So whether it's employment, you know, your relationships or just how you conduct yourself in the world. Okay, that's a good way to look at a me-first approach to every area of your life rather than just images because it's nice to, to be able to distinguish it. How do you deal with someone in your life who may have narcissistic personality disorder? So just being really understanding, using empathy to try and understand where they're coming from and also just putting a different perspective on it that they're not choosing to you know, be self-centred or anything like that. It's these real sort of you know, pervasive symptoms that they're experiencing. And often I, um, I talk a lot about assertive communication and just trying to help people understand this is how I can convey to others that this is the emotion that I'm experiencing. This is the thing that has caused that emotion to come up. And here's an alternative that we can do to sort of meet in the middle where both of our needs are met. So often people with narcissistic PD will only look at their needs. They won't consider the needs of others. So helping sort of two people, especially if they're in a relationship or, you know, some sort of close friendship, helping them to communicate better and just try and understand each other, even if just a, a slight more can, you know, make a world of a difference. And that's, that's good to know. It's almost like if you are in a relationship or a connection of some kind with a narcissist, you have to discover your own strength and assertiveness as well. That's the role you can take. There's one more personality disorder that you wanted to discuss today. That's obsessive compulsive personality disorder. What is that? Yeah, well, as it shares quite a lot of, uh, you know, the words of obsessive compulsive disorder, um, but unfortunately they are very different. Obsessive compulsive personality disorder is a real sort of pattern of preoccupation with order, you know, perfectionism, having control over situations. And being that it's one of the cluster C sort of personality disorders, it's involving a lot of anxiety and real intense fear for that person. They fear that the, uh, if the order is not met, something will happen or the order needs to be met or that perfectionism needs to be met to satisfy that anxiety and reduce it. So when you're helping someone manage that condition, do you try to explain the value of spontaneity and a bit of chaos? Yeah, you want to sort of become comfortable with chaos. You want to become comfortable with, you know, the world and its complexities. Often uh, people with OCPD have a real struggle to live in the unknown. They want the world to be really just black or white, but unfortunately, a lot of the time, the world is grey. It's this big sort of muddle of you know many complexities and many factors and many unknown variables at once. So, building uh, some of that distress tolerance and dealing with the intense anxieties of living in this you know grey unknown, or dealing with variables that we can't directly control or have power over, that can be a very powerful technique that really targets that core of the personality disorder. Psychologist from North Brisbane, psychologist James Carroll has been explaining five of the key personality disorders that you may encounter out in the world. James, thanks for your time today. No worries. Thank you so much for having me on, Ashwin.